This is the word of God. 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's go to the Lord in in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we we thank you for this text of Scripture, for this book of 1 John that lays out for us these marks of being born again. These these indicators, these signs that, that you have regenerated us. Lord, I pray that you'll give every one of your people a strong assurance of their salvation. And likewise, I pray for those who are not yet born again, that you would take away any false sense of assurance that they may have so that they can see clearly that they must come to you. And then once they come to you, I pray that you give them that strong sense of assurance. Lord, I I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you for bearing these fruits in the lives of your people. And I pray that you'll help us understand them as well as uh, to endeavor to bear more fruit as your people. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Occasionally when you're driving around, you may have noticed uh, people put yard signs and they, they stick them in their yard and they'll say, usually in the King James Version, ye must be born again. You may see those here and there. I do. I'm not criticizing that of all, at all because, of course, that's true. But it does make me wonder when I see those, I think, I wonder how many people who see that have any idea what that's talking about. You must be born again. You know, I wonder not only the average person in, in the world, but I also wonder how many churchgoers have any idea what that means, that you must be born again. You know, some of you know, I've told some of you these stories and maybe even in a sermon before, that on more than one occasion when doing evangelism, I've spoken to people, and I believe at least one of these people was a churchgoer. When I asked them, do you know what it means to be born again? They speculated it has something to do with being reincarnated. That is, that after you die, you come back uh, as a, some other creature to live life over again, like a butterfly or a tree or something. So even people who grew up in some sort of church are way off base on what this is. The doctrine of the new birth or or being born again really has fallen on hard times these days. We're told by Jesus that you must be born again. Uh, The seriousness of it is plain in scripture. However, few people really know what it is or talk about what it is. What are the marks of being born again? That's a very important question, and that's what 1 John really is. One of the main themes of 1 John is the marks of being born again so that we may know that we have eternal life. What are the indicators of a life that has been changed by the new birth? Now, thankfully, like I said, we're not left in the dark on answering this question. Uh, In 1 John, we have seen repeatedly 
uh, three marks of the new birth. And we're going to see those again this evening. So looking, looking here at the first two verses of chapter 5, let's read those again. He says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. So like I said, there are three main tests or three main marks of being born again in 1 John. And all three of them are here in these first two verses of chapter 5. And these marks are faith, love, and obedience. Faith, love, and obedience. We've seen these before. For example, the test of faith was spoken of in 1 John 2, 22 and 23, where he said, Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. So who are you believing in? If you're believing in the true Jesus, that is a, a mark of the new birth. We've also seen the mark of love. 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. And the test of obedience was there in 1 John 2, 3, and 4. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So faith, love, and obedience, those three marks have been repeatedly uh, shown here by John in the book, and he hits them again in these first two verses of chapter 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, there's faith. Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him, there's love. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. So faith, love, and obedience. Now each time John brings those up, he, he adds to it or, or hits those things from a different angle. And it's no different here in 1 John 5. It's doing the same thing. So looking a little closer here at the first mark, the first test, which is faith. What he's saying is this, is that only those who believe that Jesus is the Christ are those who have been born again. This is a doctrinal test. Are you believing in the true Jesus? Now, he doesn't just say throughout the book, believing that Jesus is the Christ. He'll say in this, in this section here, Jesus is the son of God, believing that Jesus has come in the flesh, things like that. So are you believing in the true Jesus, who is truly God, truly man, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who lived his sinless life, who is the Christ, which means he's our prophet, priest, and king, of course, who died on the cross, who truly died, and who truly rose again in the same body. Is that the Jesus that you are believing in? Now, in the last sermon that we did uh, on a Sunday morning a few weeks ago, we spoke about what it means that Jesus is the Christ, that he's our prophet, priest, and king. We also noted that uh, the new birth or being born again comes before uh, that genuine faith. So faith is a fruit of being born again. The new birth is the root. Faith is the fruit. So, so the first test is, do you believe in the true Jesus? And if you don't believe in the true biblical Jesus, then you're lost. You're not born again. Those who are born again believe in the true Jesus. That's what that first phrase means. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Okay, so that's the first test. Now, the second test here 
is the test of love. Whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. Now, first of all, the born-again person, he says, loves the Father. And I don't know what could be more obvious. If you're a true Christian, you love God. You love the Father. Those whom the Father has loved and made born again, because he's given them a new heart, that new heart loves the Father. He, God gives us a love for himself when he gives us those new hearts. But again, as John has addressed before, how can we know if we really love the Father? Is it enough to say, well, I love God? Well, he says this, whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. In other words, whoever truly loves God loves other Christians as well. And again, this is nothing new. We've heard this before. You must love the brothers. That's what a born again person does. True believers love the brothers. The true Christian who is born of God loves others who are also born of God. Uh, Of course, other Christians are, in fact, our siblings. We have the same father. They're our brothers and our sisters, which is why they're called our brothers and sisters. We share the same father. John earlier said, just saying that you love God is worthless. He says in 1 John 4.20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So he repeats that same idea. Just saying that you love God doesn't necessarily mean that you do love God. The way that you prove that love for God is a love for his other children, a love for your brothers. So a true Christian will love the Father, and he'll demonstrate that love for the Father by having love for other Christians. And John's going to explain what that means in just a minute. But he gives us the third test here in 1 John 5, 2 says, when we love God and observe his commandments. So this is the third test of obedience. Again, we've seen it before. The tests of love and the tests of obedience, you really can't divide those up. In fact, you can't divide any of these three marks, uh, faith, love, and obedience. Loving Christians, he says, means that we are loving God and we are observing his commandments. Well, that's just what Jesus taught too, isn't it? He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments in John 14, 15. So that third test of being born again is that you have obedience to God's commands, which is an expression of love. So faith, love, and obedience, those are those three tests that John keeps on repeating. And those three tests are always tied together. If you have one, you're going to have the others as well. You can't have faith in Jesus and not love God. You cannot love God and hate Christians. You cannot love Christians and hate God's commandments. See, the three things always go together because God gives them, they're the fruit that the Holy Spirit bears and those whom he's made born again. Now, these fruits will not be perfect. They will be weaker at times than in others, but they will be there. You will have a genuine faith. You will have a genuine love and a genuine obedience. They will not be perfect at all times, but they will be there. The fruit will be there. Now, the issue that John wants to emphasize for a moment here, as he, as he lays out those three tests once again, he wants to emphasize what it really means to love other Christians. John says that love for God's children is a mark of being a child of God yourself, right? Whoever loves God loves the child born of him. So you can say, well, that's great. I do love other Christians. But how do you know what it, what, what it means to love other Christians? 
If you were asked, how do you love other Christians? How would you answer that question? It's important that we answer it right so that we're not uh, deceiving ourselves when we say we love Christians. Because God has given us a definition of what that means. And John wastes no time to tell us what it means when we love Christians. He says, when we love God and observe his commandments. Which he takes that phrase, we observe his commandments, and transitions us here into verse 3. Where he clearly defines what it means to love God. So just to summarize this first point here real quickly, here's John's point. Number one, if you are born again, then you will love other Christians. Two, you can know that you truly love Christians if you love God. Three, you can know that you love God if you keep his commandments. So then he brings us into verse three where he explains a little bit further what the love of God really means. So we have faith, love, and obedience, and then John's going to expound upon love and obedience a little bit more here in verse 3. So let's look at verse 3. What it means to love God and fellow believers. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So he lays it out as plain as he can. This is what it means to love God. When you say, I love God, this is what should be going through your head, that we keep his commandments. You recall, Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, that you love the Lord your God with all of your hearts, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. So the love of God is to keep his commandments. In fact, loving God summarizes The other commandments. If we love God, we will obey him. The love of God is to keep his commands. No one can claim then to love God and yet continue in a sinful lifestyle that rebels against his commandments. So this strikes right at the ridiculous claims of the so-called carnal Christian. Have you heard of this before? The so-called carnal Christian. That is a Christian who is a Christian but is still living in the flesh. Is still following after his sinful nature. That's really still doing things his way. When I was a a student in high school, uh, this was the predominant opinion among students, even though they didn't know what it was called. It's pretty much a, a very natural opinion for an unregenerate person to take. A carnal Christian, they would they would say, is a person that can trust in Jesus, can be saved love God, and yet remain carnal. That is, remain in their fleshly, sinful nature. In other words, it's saying you can be a real Christian and not be repentant of your sins. It says you can have Jesus as your Savior, but not as your Lord. Essentially, it's saying you can be a Christian and not be born again. And that is totally contradicted by the entire book of 1 John. You cannot be a Christian without being born again. The idea that you could be a Christian without being given a new heart is totally absurd and foreign to Scripture. He repudiates all of that teaching throughout this book. The carnal Christian heresy, and it is, it's a heresy, says you can love God but not keep his commandments. And John says the exact opposite. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. He just blows it out of the water. It's not possible. 
If you don't keep God's commandments, then you do not love God. That's the plain teaching of this verse. It does, again, it does not mean that you keep it with perfection. It means that good fruit of obedience is in your life. That you're changed now. That you have a desire to obey God. And I want to remind you that this good fruit that the Holy Spirit bears in you, it includes your repentance. Your repentance for your sins. So guess what? Unbelievers, unregenerate, non-born again people, they don't repent of their sins to God. That's a mark. That's, that's something that the Holy Spirit grants you. Repentance is a gift of God that he gives at the new birth, right alongside faith. So repentance for your failures is also one of those good fruits that God bears in you. But if you're still living for yourself in an unrepentant way, if you're living for your desires, for your kingdom, for your pleasures, for your lusts, for your status or position, for your self-love, if you're doing all these, all your whole life my way rather than God's way, if you're not living for God by keeping his commandments at all, then he's saying you're not born again. Because obedience to God is a mark, it's an evidence of being born again. If you claim to love God and claim to have this deep affection for God, but do not keep his commandments, he's saying you're lying about your claim to love God. This is the love of God that we keep his commands. So if you don't keep his commands, but instead disregard and and hate his commands, he's saying you do not actually love God. So those who claim to love God, but then repudiate the idea that Christians uh, obey God, motivated by thankfulness to him, those people who who reject the idea of Christian obedience, uh, they're not born again. They're not born again. If someone hates God's commands and argues that they are permitted to live however they please as a true Christian, that's not a born-again person. Those are marks that say that they are not born again, in fact. Because a born-again person loves God, and if they love God, they will keep his commands. Now, I will say this, just to make this as clear as I can. Don't misunderstand this. Keeping the commandments cannot save you. You would have to be sinlessly perfect for your obedience to earn you heaven. And you are not perfect. But, but keeping the commandments is an evidence that you have been saved. See, keeping the commandments is not the cause of your salvation. It's the evidence that you have already been saved as a free gift. Obedience is a sign of being born again. It does not cause you to be born again. It does not justify you. But it is an evidence that you have been born again. So if you're rejecting God's commands, that's your lifestyle, you're all about your way, then you do not love him. And if you don't love God and keep his commands, that's evidence you've not been made a new creation in Christ. Now, John here not only says that loving God is keeping his commands, he also says that God's commands are not burdensome to the born-again true Christian. This is, this is a, a new addition that he adds on to this issue of, of love here in this verse. It's fantastic. So what's, what is that? What, what, are the, what does it mean that his commandments are not burdensome? Well, here are two reasons why God's commands are not burdensome to the born-again believer. And number one is this. The believer is not burdened with the weight of trying to earn salvation. 
the true believer is not burdened with the weight of trying to work his way into favor with God by obeying the law. Jesus said this in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So because God loves the believer, and because Jesus has paid for the sins of the believer, the born-again person's motivation for obedience, hear this, the motivation for obedience for the born-again person is not the burden of trying to win favor with God to go to heaven. The motivation for the born-again person's obedience is not to try to earn points for God to accept them. Because I know that in the electing grace and love of God and in the, the gospel of Jesus, that God loves me no matter my performance. Because all of my sins have been paid for. I know that if I sin against God, he'll continue to love me and to forgive me for everything wrong I will ever do. I'm not under the heavy burden of thinking that I must or can earn God's love and favor by my obedience. Because God has freely given forgiveness and love to me, I'm able to walk in freedom from that burden of trying to earn earn it by works righteousness. Instead, as one who has been freely forgiven by grace, I'm now able to obey him in freedom, motivated by love for him, for thank, by thankfulness to him, and not by fear of condemnation, not by fear of, of being punished in hell, which is a heavy burden. In 1 John 4, 18, he says, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. What he's saying is, if if we understand God's love for us, then we should not fear being condemned by him. Because God God does not condemn his own children. So because God loves us perfectly, our fears should just be cast out. They should be thrown out of us. And we should walk in obedience to him and freedom from the heavy burden of feeling like we, sh- we have to uh, earn heaven by works righteousness. We cannot do that. You know, Martin Luther, the Protestant Reformation, the 1500s, before he was born again, was burdened by the impossible task of trying to earn God's favor. R.C. Sproul said this about him. He said, Martin Luther had such a fear of the wrath of God that early on in his ministry, somebody put this question to him. Brother Martin, do you love God? You know what he said? Love God? You ask me if I love God? Sometimes I hate God. I see Christ as a consuming judge who is simply looking at me to evaluate me and to visit affliction upon me. See, there's the burden of trying to earn, think, thinking that you can earn favor in God's sight by, by obedience to the commands. But see, if you're born again and understand the love of God for you, you don't have to fear the condemnation of God. His perfect love should cast out your fears. You should no longer be burdened by thinking that God will only love you if you keep his commandments. No. See, God loves you, Christian, Because God is love, we are told in 1 John. 
He loves even though you don't meet any conditions. He, in love, predestined us to adoption as sons. His love is unconditional. So when you're a Christian, his commandments are not burdensome because the weight of trying to earn salvation is gone. Because you know it's been given to you. We know that Jesus earned salvation for us. He kept the law perfectly. He took the curse of the law on the cross for us. There's no more burden to carry. So that's the first way that his commandments are not burdensome. And the second reason is this. Because of the new birth, we're burdened by sin, not by obedience. Because of the new birth, we're not burdened by obedience. We're burdened by sin. See, the unbeliever, the person who's not born again, views God's law as a burden, as a, as a drag, as a weight on their life. It's, it's no fun to keep the commandments. The unbeliever may even say out loud that God, God's commandments are right, but they're a heavy weight on their life that they really are not interested in carrying. The unbeliever does not want to obey God's commands. But, it, but what really excites the unbeliever is not God's law, but in fact the opposite. The unbeliever is excited by sin. He loves to sin. Sin is not a burden to an unbeliever. It's his delight. But for the born-again person, he is never lighter and never happier than when he's walking closely with God and keeping his commandments. God's law, because of the new birth, God's law has become his delight and sin has become his burden. It's just it's the total opposite of what it was before he was born again. A Christian is never more burdened when he's weighed down with his own sin. But he's never lighter and freer than when he is walking in thankful obedience to the Lord. The Apostle Paul describes his attitude towards sin as a born-again believer. He's burdened by it. He's burdened by sin. And he wants to obey God's commands. Listen from Romans 7, 18. He says, for, Paul says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, that is, to do good. I'm willing to do good, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. You see his burden? I want to keep the commandments. I want to obey God. And this sin keeps getting in my way. He doesn't want to sin. He hates that he sins. He just wants to obey God, even though he fails to do it perfectly. He says later on in Romans 7, 22, For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? See, what is Paul burdened by? Well, not the commandments. He's burdened by his own sin. He loves to keep the commandments of God. He wished he could do it perfectly. But he has this inner struggle with sin. It's real. And the burden is real. He calls out, wretched man that I am. He's burdened by that remaining sin in his heart. But the law of God, you see, is not a burden to him. It's his delight. It's his joy. He joyfully concurs with the law of God in the inner man. Likewise, the author of Psalm 119 express, expressed repeatedly the joys 
that he has in keeping the commandments. Let me just read a few verses from Psalm 119. Verse 40, he says, Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Verse 48, he says, And I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 72, he says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. In verse 97, he says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Is that a man burdened by the commandments of God? No. It's a man who loves the commandments of God. Because his new heart, from being born again, loves to do what God commands. Loves what God loves. So secondly here, God's commands are not burdensome to the born-again believer. Because the born-again believer has that new heart that actually loves to obey God and hates to sin against him. His natural disposition has been totally reversed. So John's point here as he discusses this test of love and obedience as marks of being born again, this is his point. If you claim to love God, then you will love other Christians. But how do you know that you love God? By keeping his commandments. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And to you, his commandments are not a burden. They're a delight. So if you have no desire to keep his commandments, then John is saying you're not born again. A born-again believer desires to keep all the the commands of God, including loving our brothers and sisters. You see, love is not primarily emotional. It's primarily an action word. If we're aiming at loving God, we're aiming at keeping his commands which means we must aim at treating our brothers the way that God commands us to treat them. So we're to be loving towards them. And that summarizes uh, how all of God's commands on how to treat uh, others. You, you remember 1 Corinthians 13, being patient and, and kind, and, and other passages speak of being humble and bearing with each other and so on and so forth. So if we're to love God and keep his commands, if we do that, including treating our brothers and sisters with love, then those are fruits of being born again. The person who is legitimately characterized by these things, faith, love, and obedience, that's a born-again person. Now, that being said, this is, this is, again, he's building on something he said multiple times, taking it at a slightly different angle. But now he adds something even more on that as we go to our final point here. He's already told us that those who are born again will have faith in the true Jesus. They will love God, they will love other Christians, and they'll prove that love by obedience to God's commands. But now John adds another thing here, which really is another, it's not entirely different from these things, but is another uh, result of being born again. And that is that every born again person overcomes the world. Look at verse four and five. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, first things first, what does that mean, to overcome the world? Now, the term world here has been used elsewhere in 1 John. He's referring to the unbelieving world, unbelievers and the things that unbelievers live for. So what he's saying is that believers have victory over the world. They overcome the world in this sense, that they, in Christ, overcome Satan, sin, 
unbelievers in their worldliness and heresies. We'll talk about all those in a minute. So when God makes somebody born again, he gives each and every born again person victory over these things, over the world. He says, interestingly, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And commentators tend to agree that when, instead, of, instead of saying whoever is born of God, he says whatever. He's doing that to indicate it's not so much the person who overcomes the world, but it's God making them born again that makes them overcome the world. It's more the new birth that gives them victory than they themselves get the victory. So the glory goes to God. The credit goes to God. Whoever comes the world is Jesus. We only, come, we only overcome the world because the Spirit of God has given us new life, and we overcome the world through him. Now, you notice this as well. John uses the term overcome, to conquer or have victory over, in two different verb tenses. He uses it in a past tense, has overcome the world, which means, in other words, there's a definite point in time where victory was had over the world in a born-again person's life. And that is, the moment they were born again, there was a definite break with the world, a definite overcoming of the world, a definite victory over the world the moment they were born again. You're broken, your bondage to the things of the world are broken right when you're born again. Nevertheless, these things in the world can still tempt us and still have a sway on us. So John also uses the term overcome in the present tense, as in, is overcoming the world. So we have overcome these things in the world in the sense that we're not enslaved to them anymore, but we are still tempted by these things. So there's a continuous aspect where we're just continuously killing these things in our own hearts. We're continuously overcoming these things. The temptations of these things we're overcoming. So he says this, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Now, what he means by our faith, specifically, he means the object of our faith, which he explains in the next verse. Who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So, our faith in Jesus overcomes the world. It's Jesus who overcomes the world, and we we overcome in him. We are united to him. By faith. So as Jesus overcomes the world, we overcome the world because we are united to him by faith. Remember, Jesus himself used this. This is likely where John is deriving this from. From John 16, 33, Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. He says, in me, you may have peace. And he says, I have overcome the world. And what John's saying here is that we have overcome the world in him. So because we are in Christ by faith, we may have peace and not be overcome by the world. Rather, we may overcome the world in him. The world represents everything that opposes Christ. And Jesus is saying, I've overcome it all. And you have overcome it as well in me. He is saying, in effect, listen, in the world, you will be hated. You will be opposed. You will be lied to. You will be tempted. People will try to get you to go along with what they are doing. But don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. I have overcome the world. And I have not 
overcome the world only for me, but I've overcome the world for you. And in me, you are overcomers of all of our enemies. So I want, to see, I want us to see how in Christ we are overcomers of the world and all that opposes Christ. Let's draw quickly now. When we are born again, we overcome in Christ everything that opposes him. Satan, for example. In John 8, we're told that by nature, we are of our father, the devil, and our will is to do Satan's desires. But in Christ, we're no longer children of Satan. We're children of God. We're no, we no longer follow Satan. We follow God. Satan no longer has mastery over us. He no longer is our Lord. He no longer has control over us. We're told in Hebrews that Christ has destroyed Satan's power over us. It says, through death, Jesus, through Jesus' death, he might render powerless he who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So we were, and Satan was our father, Satan was our master, and Jesus breaks us free from that. In Christ, we have overcome Satan. So although Satan still tempts us and still battles against us and still fights us, in Christ, we're told we can overcome his temptations. With the armor of God, with the sword of the spirit, we can overcome him. In fact, in James, he says this, James 4, 7, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Because in Christ, you have overcome him. Secondly, we overcome sin, our own sin. When we're unbelievers, we're slaves to sin. Sin is our master. All we want to do is sin. But through Christ, slavery to sin has been broken. He says, whoever sins is a slave to sin, but if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. In Romans 6, 18, it says, having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So sin no longer has mastery over you either. You are now freed up to obey God. He says there in Romans 6 as well, you need to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Why should you consider yourself dead to sin? Because if you're born again, you are dead to sin. It no longer has mastery over you. In Christ, the believer overcomes the power of sin. Thirdly, the world. That is, the world of unbelievers and their ideologies and lifestyles. John particularly emphasizes this here in the book of 1 John, how the believer overcomes the world. In 1 John 2.16, earlier in the book, John lays out for us the three things that the world lives for. Remember this? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That is, the world lives to indulge themselves, to, to possess things and people, and then to impress everybody on how awesome they are. As Joel Beakey summarized it, the world lives for pleasure, for profit, and then for position, for status. Those are their fundamental idols. Let me live for sex, drugs, and alcohol. Let me live for getting more stuff, more money, and then let me show off how awesome my life is. Those are the great motivations, for example, of the world. But in Christ, we no longer live for those idols. We no longer live for those things. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9, it says, How we turned from God 
turned from idols to God to serve the living God. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. We no longer follow after the things that the world serves, which are passing away. We've overcome those things through the new birth. We don't have, we don't have the desires that the unbelieving world has to live for those things as our gods. We're not taken in by those lies that the world tells us. And that this includes as well the doctrinal, theological, religious lies of the world as well. The true born-again person overcomes the heresies of the world as well, and they overcome them by not believing them. When a true believer hears false teaching, things that deny the gospel, he doesn't go along with it. He rejects false teaching. This is where John first brought up this issue of overcoming the world, is in 1 John 4, 3 and 4. He says, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and is now already in the world. Now, here's the part. You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them. That is the false teachers. You have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. There it is again. You have overcome all the lies and heresies and false teachings in the world because Jesus is in you and he's greater than Satan's lies. So when, when God makes you born again, remember the, the evidence is genuine, true faith, doctrinal test. Yeah, you won't be taken in by heresies. You've overcome false teachers. The Holy Spirit has taught you that. He has illumined your mind to understand the Bible so that you will not be taken in by lies. Jesus is the truth, and he overcomes the lies of the world. So we, by union with Jesus, by faith, are not overcome by lies ourselves, but overcome them. So true Christians are not bouncing around from religion to religion and from cult to cult. They're sticking with Jesus. They know his voice. They don't listen to the voice of a stranger, Jesus said. True Christians know the truth and they stick with the truth. John said earlier in 1 John 2, 19, those who abandoned the church, he said, they abandoned us. They left because they weren't really of us. Because if they were of us, they would have remained with us. Because true believers stick with the truth. So consider here John's point about how in Christ we overcome the world. In other words, if we're born again, we're never going to go back to believing the lies that the world believes. We're never going to go back to being a slave to sin. We're never going to go back to have Satan as our father. We're never going to live like the world lives again. Because in Christ, we've overcome them all. Because Christ has overcome them. We've conquered them. In Christ, we've overcome all of these things. Christ has done it, and we in him. Because greater is he who is in the world than, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So, in conclusion and to summarize here, when someone is born again, they are freed from slavery to all these things that oppose Christ. The world, sin, the devil, they overcome all of them in Christ. Yet, the world... Sin and the devil, you know, can still have an influence on you, don't you? We have to be daily overcoming them as well then. This is the mark of being born again, being freed from lifestyles that follow the world, sin, and the devil. So if you are born again, you will bear the fruit spoken of in these verses. Faith in the true Jesus, a biblical, doctrinally sound faith in Jesus. 
You'll have love for God and other Christians, and you will keep his commandments. His commandments will not be a burden to you, but something you really desire to do. And you're no longer going to be overcome by the ways of the world with their lifestyles and lies. Now you follow Jesus. Now you follow God. So the bottom line is this. The born-again believer has conquered the world. Not at all in the sense of with military might and tanks and guns and things like that. But Christ has overcome their power. He has overcome our enemies. We are no longer enslaved to them. He has freed us. The world doesn't control us anymore. We don't live for what they live for. There's a great difference now between the world and us. And that difference increases and increases as we grow in the Lord. When Jesus spoke of bearing fruit in John 15, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. So if you're born again, these fruits will be in your life. And over time, God will bear more and more fruit in your life. You will overcome these things more and more and more. That's the process of sanctification. Now, how do you do that? By faith. You overcome these temptations by faith. Trusting God, trusting that his word is true. So you remember in Hebrews 11, we have this whole line of Old Testament men and women, believers, who by faith did this and by faith did that. They're, they're called, it's, it's God's Hall of Fame, people call it, or the Hall of Faith. Why are they so great? Why are these people so great? Simply because they trusted God's word. They actually believed what he said. Think about Noah. He's in there. Why did Noah build the ark? God said there'd be a great flood. You must build the ark. Now, if Noah did not believe that there would be a flood, if Noah did not believe that what God said was true, would he have built the ark? No. But since he believed that what God said is true, he obeyed him. Moses is in there. Moses rejected the privileges and, and pleasures and profit of Egypt because he, he counted it more important or more blessed to be persecuted with Israel than to have all the blessed, the, the outward blessings of Egypt. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called one of the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You see how different Moses was from the world? He's living in the capital of the world, in Egypt, of riches and glory and honor from a worldly standpoint. He says, I don't want any of that. I want God and his people. He overcame the temptations of the world because he trusted God's word. So think about it. To conclude, will you believe heresy if you know and trust God's word? No, you won't. If you trust God's word, will you be taken in by teachings that tell you that self-centeredness is a virtue? You won't be taken in by that. Will you be taken in by all the sexual sin that says your life will be happy and cool when you know that God says it will make you miserable and bring you death? If you trust God's word, let's be broader. If you trust God's word, will you believe the lie that sin will make you happy when he tells you it, in fact, will not? God's word says that sin will destroy you and make you miserable. And you will say later on in your life, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Moses knew it. The pleasure of sin was only passing. It was temporary. 
So if you believe God's word, you'll overcome all the things that the world dangles in front of your eyes. They'll tell you that pleasure is what life is all about. But you know better than that. They'll tell you that, that profit is what life is all about. But you know better. That, that status and power is what life is all about. And you say, no, you're wrong. You know better because you know the truth. You know the truth incarnate, Jesus. See, our faith in Christ overcomes all the lies, all the things of the world. If we would believe what he says is true, if we believe that he is right when he tells us something is wrong, we'll be overcoming the world more and more and more. The influence of the world will be less and less. So believe God's word. Believe what he says about sin and righteousness, about truth and lies. Believe him, and you'll be overcoming the world. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we, we thank you for your great power. We thank you for the great power of Jesus who has overcome all of his enemies, and we have overcome in him. We thank you for the new birth that makes us overcome. We thank you for the, the marks of the new birth, faith, love, and obedience. You have changed us. We're nothing like we used to be. Lord, help us to overcome these things more and more, these evil things in the world, more and more. That's what we desire. Your commandments are not a burden, but a delight to us. Help us to love you more. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.